morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. I cannot tell you how happy I am to see all of you this morning. I um, have to wear a mask so you can't see the big smile on my face, but as my niece used to always ask, are you showing all your teeth? Yes, I'm showing all my teeth. I am very, very, very happy to see you this morning. Today is Mother's Day, a special, uh, a special welcome to all of our mothers and grandmothers and all of the wonderful women who have been like mothers to us. And it is the sixth Sunday of Easter as we continue to proclaim the wonder of the resurrection. I am so grateful for you for being here and I pray that God will bless you during this time of worship. Will you stand now for the call to worship and the opening hymn? Let us pray together. Loving God, help us to love others as Christ has loved us. Bring us into the spiritual joy of living our lives as your friend, and teach us to abide in your love that we may show that love to the world. Amen. unite our voices in prayer. Holy God, your love is enough for us. It is indeed all we need. On this Mother's Day, we especially remember all the people in our lives whose mothering spirits have nurtured and raised us. Grandmothers, aunts, sisters, teachers, youth group leaders, 
and of course our own mothers. We give you gratitude for them all and celebrate their loving presence in our lives. But we also pray for those for whom this day is tinged with sorrow. Be with those who miss their mothers. Be with those who miss the mother of their children. Be with those who long to become mothers but face difficulty. Be with those mother who are mothers and find it to be an exhausting, overwhelming, and lonely experience. And finally, God of comfort and compassion, be with those mothers who weep for their children, children who have gone missing, who have died, or are lost to them in other ways. Surround them with your loving embrace this day and every day. Shepherd them through this valley of the shadow of death and help us to know deep in our hearts that nothing in life nor death can separate us from your love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I would like to ask for the attention of the children. I'm not going to ask children to come forward this morning, but uh, just wanted to talk for a bit about Mother's Day and about gratitude. One of the uh, practices that a lot, of, a lot of people who are very famous have talked about as totally changing their lives is just a very simple practice, something any of us can do. Any age person can do this. Uh, a lot of sports stars have talked about this, and Oprah's talked about this, and other celebrities have talked about it. And one of the things that they do that really uh, they say have changed everything for them is that at the end of every day they write down three things that they are grateful for. Three things. And that alone has made them notice more of the things for which they should be thankful. It has helped them to, to slow down a little bit and be more appreciative of others in their lives. And it's something you can do at the dinner table, something you can do when you say your prayers at night. It's just a really, really good practice to get into. So I'd like to encourage you today, since it's Mother's Day, I would like to encourage you, when you go home from worship today, to go through some family photographs. They might be in albums, they might be on your mom's phone or your dad's phone, but go through some of your family photographs and think about all of the ways that you are thankful for your mom. Think about all of the ways that you want to say thank you to God for how your mom nurtures you and cares for you and loves you. Now this morning we have a, a video presentation in which uh, many families have submitted pictures of uh, moms and their children, so you might get to see yourselves. But I hope that when you go home this afternoon, that you take to, the time to go through those pictures and celebrate those special moments that you've had in your life with your moms. Thanks for your attention. I'll see you next Sunday.
as we prepare to receive God's word, let us pray. Oh God, in this Easter season, open our eyes to see your loving, reconciling work in our world. Open our ears so we may hear your voice in the voices of others, our dear ones and those who need us. Open our hearts to a love that comes to each of us and assures us that there is nothing to fear ever. Because Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, is not dead but risen. Amen. Our New Testament lesson this morning is found in the fourth chapter of 1 John, beginning with the seventh verse. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the 15th chapter of John's gospel, beginning with the ninth verse. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, 
that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. A holiday movie that runs every December is the 2003 British comedy Love Actually. It is famous for uh, the dance scene with Hugh Grant and a few cameos by comedian Rowan Atkinson of Mr. Bean fame. But I really love the opening scene. That's my favorite scene in the whole movie. I find it thought-provoking, and it always sends me back to the task I talked about in children's time of gratitude, of being intentional about being thankful The movie opens with scenes of a busy airport passenger area and a voiceover from Hugh Grant's character saying that whenever he gets gloomy about the state of the world, he thinks about the arrivals terminal at Heathrow Airport. If you listen to the movie, this is exactly the words he says. Whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. General opinion is starting to make out that we live in a world of hatred and greed. But I don't see that. It seems to me that love is everywhere. Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, wives and husbands, boyfriends, girlfriends, and old friends. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaking suspicion. Love actually is all around. Love actually is the centerpiece of today's gospel lesson from John. It is part of what biblical scholars call the farewell discourses, the collection of teachings that Jesus gave to his disciples before he dies, the words and teachings <coughs> excuse me, that he wants to leave them with. They are intense, and they are packed with advice. They often sound repetitive, with, with Jesus underscoring themes several times. For example, last week's gospel lesson and this week's gospel lesson talk a lot about abiding. I am the vine and you are the branches, he said in last week's passage. Abide in me as I abide in you. This week's gospel passage continues. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Beneath all the words, though, there really is just one word, and that word expressed the reason for his whole life. It's love, actually. For Jesus, love is the reason God made the world. Love is the way we are made to live. Love is what worship and religious life show us. Love is why Jesus came to live among us, to be one of us. Love is what God will never stop trying to draw us into embracing. Love is what we are meant to abide in all our days. The idea of love is central to Christian practice, particularly in John's Gospel. John's Gospel is very different from the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. For one thing, John is written much later than the other three, probably around the end of the first century, about 70 years after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And a lot has happened in those years. The Jewish population of Palestine finally rose up and revolted against Rome, and and there was this all-out war, and the Jewish forces held out for a long time, but Rome won. The last holdouts at the mountain fortress of Masada committed suicide rather than surrender. The Romans, weary of the constant agitation by their Jewish subjects, leveled Jerusalem and leveled the temple and drove out most of the population. So now at the end of the first century, 70 years after Jesus, 30 years after the war, the Jesus movement has grown rapidly and slowly disengaged from Judaism. Followers of Jesus, followers of the way, they were called, are calling themselves Christians. Now, John's gospel is more philosophical than Matthew, Mark, or Luke's gospels. Matthew and and Luke start their gospels with the story of a birth, with the story of the manger in Bethlehem and angels and shepherds and wise men. Mark begins with the account of Jesus' baptism as an adult. But John begins with a concept. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The other thing that sets John's gospel apart is that he uses the word love to describe God. God has always been described with words like power, majesty, omnipotence, righteousness. God has always been described as creating and judging and punishing. John's unique idea is that God is love. As John's story of Jesus moves toward its conclusion, love emerges as the central point. The love God is the love Jesus incarnates and expresses even unto death, the love that his followers are called to live out in his name in the world. Jesus hopes to live on in the world in the love of his followers. As we've seen in the readings we've had from the book of Acts this Easter season, the love of Jesus' followers made a really big impression It wasn't just love for family or love for fellow Christians, although 
They distinguish themselves by creating communities of, of sharing so that no one was destitute. An amazing feat, actually, in a culture without social services. Jesus had talked of love that no one could really fathom. Love for friends, but also love for enemies. Love for those even who persecute you. Early Christians pooled their food resources and took in children who had been abandoned on Jerusalem's streets, left to die there or in the garbage dumps on the outside of town. Later, they would stick around and tend to those who were sick during the plague. During times of war, Christians have turned their churches into hospitals. I think of Mother Teresa of Calcutta, unable to stem the tide of death, but offering Christ's love to the dying by caring for them. There is a song in our Faith We Sing hymnal, They Will Know We Are Christians by Our Love. And in fact, the early Christians were known that way, and they stood out dramatically from the rest of the culture because of the way that they embodied love in very tangible, wonderful ways in their communities. It was a love whose symbol was the cross, not flowers or hearts. It was a practical love. It was a love in action that transcended feelings of affection for another. It is about caring for someone you don't like. Christian love is not a feeling but an act, a way of behaving. Henry Nouwen wrote, if we wait for a feeling of love before loving, we may never learn to love well. Mostly we know the loving thing to do. When we do love, even if others are not able to respond with love, we will discover that our feelings will catch up with our acts. Frederick Beekner, one of my favorite authors, writes about it a lot. He writes about its modern forms, and he says, You see, love is changing diapers and doing dishes. It's living with the ups and downs of life with teenagers and the ups and downs of parents, too, for that matter. Love is speaking honestly to someone who has hurt us. It's telling a friend she is drinking too much. It's putting a career on hold because our family needs us. Love is making sure that values deeper than the bottom line drive our business decisions. In marriage, Frederick Beekner says somewhere else, real love is not the feelings that we have at the marriage ceremony or at a romantic candlelit dinner for two. Real love, he says, comes into play when the sink is full of dirty dishes and the bills haven't been paid and it's two o'clock in the morning and the baby starts crying and someone has to get up and change a diaper and your spouse has a head cold and you don't really want to get out of bed. Real love is, in human relationships, is not so much about emotions and feelings, but about loving acts. Behavior shaped and formed not by my needs, my priorities, my desires, but by love's imperative. Love defined for Christians, not by Hollywood, not by culture, but by God's only Son, Jesus Christ. As the early Christians lived this out, as they formed the church, what made them distinctive was that they lived out Jesus' twining of 
love of God and love of neighbor. You can't love God, the scripture says, and not love your brother or sister. They are inseparable, one thing, not two. One of my clergy colleagues points out that the first two words babies learn to speak consistently are no and mine. And he says you might say that a lot of us go through the rest of our lives saying these two words over and over, no and mine. But the Bible calls us to say yes and yours, or at least ours. That Christian love calls us out of ourselves into the expression of a love that is bigger and broader and more beautiful. We draw nourishment from the vine in our efforts to love as God calls us to love. As the same clergy colleague says, I conclude every day of my life that I can't do this one on my own, that I don't in fact come close to loving everyone God wants me to love, not to mention people I don't much like. So yes, I need help. I need the vine. I need the nutrients and energy and power of God's love. I need God's love to empower my own meager love. It strikes me that this twined love of, of love for God and love for neighbor that distinguished the early church was countercultural then, and it's countercultural now. Every clergy person has heard somebody say, you know, pastor, I'm just not into church. I'm a spiritual person, but not a religious person. The problem with a lot of contemporary spirituality, though, is that it lacks this twined love of love for God and love for neighbor. And it tends instead to be unabashedly, unashamedly focused on self-actualization. It's about me, my feelings, my adjustment, my success, my happiness, my relationships, my salvation. It's about good advice on getting ahead and achieving my goals or increasing my net worth or my net share. It takes John's passages about moving from self into loving and living for God and neighbor and turning that 180 degrees to refocus everything back on the self. I recently led two mini-visioning retreats for our church leaders, and I look forward to doing this for the whole congregation in the very near future. And in one of the sessions, I asked people to fill out a survey. <clears throat> Most people would say that their churches are friendly and welcoming, and so the Alban Institute, which is a church consulting group, came up with a survey to see if they really meant it. And I couldn't find the survey, so I made up my own with a little help from some of my clergy friends. And the survey asked you to think about people who were listed in the survey and decide whether you would accept them at church, whether you would not accept them at church, or whether you would accept them at church but you didn't think other people would. I'll read you the list, and you can think about whether or not you would accept the person and whether you would, but you don't think others would. Someone who sits right behind you and sings loudly in a monotone. A parent with a crying baby who doesn't bring the child to the nursery. Someone on the autism spectrum. 
someone who is weeping, a man with a black eye, a teenager viewing a phone throughout the service or playing on a Game Boy, a heavy smoker, someone who needs to read your lips, someone who speaks little or no English, someone with a mohawk haircut, a person who is obviously high or under the influence of drugs, someone who arrives in their fast food uniform for work, someone with a nose ring or other piercings, a woman with a black eye, a person who loudly says amen throughout the service, someone with a service, therapy, or emotional support animal. I think most of us think about dogs, but not boa constrictors or peacocks. Someone who arrives very late. A fidgety or unusually nervous person. A heavily tattooed person. A guest from Lunch Bunch. Someone who can't make eye contact. Someone who hasn't bathed in three weeks. A person who arrives in a car covered in bumper stickers. A person wearing a political t-shirt and not for the candidate or party you support. Someone in a soccer uniform and cleats. An intoxicated person. A couple or family who talk throughout the service. A person who sits where you always sit. Someone with a cold who blows his or her nose throughout the service and coughs often. A person who gets up to go to the restroom five or more times during the service. Someone who falls asleep during the service, snoring loudly. A child or teenager with a black eye. Someone in seasonally inappropriate clothing like a parka in the summer or a tank top and shorts in the winter. A person who brings their fast food breakfast to eat during worship. A loud person who makes a lot of noise or speaks very loudly. There are more people on the list, but there's almost always someone on the list that people admit that they would look at twice or, 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 or who would be a challenge for them to welcome. But here is the tough part about that list. Everybody on that list is someone God loves. Every person on the list is someone for whom Jesus was willing to die. Every single person on the list is someone who needs to be loved. The question for us is whether we will live into the words of the hymn, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Will they or won't they? Jesus talked about dying to self when he said, Truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it, but whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The late William Sloan Coffin put these words in more contemporary language. Love, he said, is the final measurement of our stature. The more we love, the bigger we are. There is no smaller package in all the world 
than that of a man all wrapped up in himself. That is why love, actually, is the centerpiece of the Christian story. That is why it is the heart of Christian life and practice and the point of it all. Love, actually, it moves us beyond ourselves into the arms of God every day and even beyond our days. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Let us affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. Please stand. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Let us go to God in prayer. Loving and eternal God, we give you thanks for gathering us this day, for being able to be back together to celebrate and to praise you and to praise you for this wonderful community of faith that nurtures us, supports us, and surrounds us with your love. On this day, we thank you for our mothers, and for those who have been like mothers to us. We pray this day for all who especially don't feel your love deep in their bones, who don't know that they are infinitely precious and unconditionally loved by you. And we ask that you help us, that you help us to embody your love and to share your love in the world so that others will know that message. Sometimes the love that you call for is challenging. It causes us to stretch and need to grow, and it is difficult and takes us to places we might otherwise not have gone. But you equip us, and you give us the ability to love. And we find ourselves doing things we never could have imagined ourselves doing. We thank you that your supply of love is inexhaustible and that we can open our hands in open-hearted confidence that the love that you give us to share in the world will never run out. Lord, we pray all of these things this day in your holy name, and we pray now as you have taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing hymn are, is the... Uh, final verses of Beautiful Savior.
uh, when I sent out the information about in-person worship, at that time we were not allowed to do any singing. Uh, now the uh, conference protocols allow us to, to sing softly for a total of five to eight minutes in worship. And so we are able to, to sing this hymn. Will you stand as we join together in this hymn? this morning comes from the service of Christian marriage in the United Methodist hymnal and book of worship, which I thought would be appropriate for today. Go forth in peace, bear witness to the love of God in this world so that for those to whom love is a stranger, they will find in you warm and generous friends. Go in peace. Amen. We ask that you follow the direction of the ushers as you depart. Please know that every single day you are prayed for and loved by our staff, and that each and every day we hope the very best for you. I look forward to seeing you next week.
I love you. God loves you. Go in peace.